You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone, real fast. This is part two of the mastermind discussion for the third quarter of 2022 with Joe Carlosari, Jeff Ross, and Jay Gold. If you haven't listened to the first part, I highly recommend that you go back right into your podcast app and listen to the first part before listening to this one. If you've already done that, welcome to part two, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by the Investors Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. What other ones you want to look at, Joe? So the one I wanted, uh, just in terms of the, the interesting movement you see is, uh, and I look at one of the things I follow very closely is this Euro dollar futures chart. Can you pull that one up right there? Yep. Okay. So uh, basically, let me, let me explain what's, what you're looking at here. So you, you, here I have the spread between the December 2022 contract for Euro dollar futures and the March 2023 contract. And the way to look at this is sort of there's a chart here that uh, goes up and to the right, which is the right way you should see the euro dollar futures contracts. They should always be advancing, right? Where as you go out into the future, they're sloping upward and to the right. They're not inverted. You don't expect uh, you know cuts down the line. You would expect that a healthy, robust economy, euro dollar futures, which is a way to effectively bet on LIBOR, the price of money abroad, and the euro dollar system. You would expect it continually to be upward sloping, which would tell you that for the foreseeable future, the Fed is going to be either uh, you know raising interest rates or pausing. Right? That's not what you see here. Uh, what you saw here in this move in April, effectively, is the 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 curve started a trend lower, trend toward a tightening. Right where you didn't expect as much hikes going out into March of 2023, and then in June, I believe it was or late May, one of the two. You actually saw the curve invert. Now, what that practically means is that the market is anticipating in this very liquid, deep market. It's saying that by the end of the year, we think the majority of the hikes are going to be in, and there's going to be some expectation of cuts. This all the way, went all the way down. I, I don't know if you can see the. Did I cut off the edge there? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's okay. Off. So, so, so what it, what it ended up looking at is at one point it was inverted by as many as I think twenty five bips. Mm-hmm. What effectively. That means is that they, the market was anticipating the Fed was going to either pause or, or potentially even cut at some point between the December meeting of this year and the March meeting in 2023. But with these recent prints and the last FOMC, we saw this huge rebound to now where as of today, I think there's only four or five bips between it uninverts, right? That's key because that is the market, market participants saying, no, we think these cuts can continue. We think they can continue even into next year, into Q1, and potentially continue at the March meeting uh, next year. So that, that's a f- sort of interesting price action, right? This is the market in real time, setting expectations in this deep, sophisticated market. And market participants are saying, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we don't think we get a pause by the end of the year. Maybe inflation isn't going to come down, and we're going to have to continue with the Fed policies of tightening all the way into Q2 of next year. And based on your CPI chart we were talking earlier, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the UK just posted, I think it was last week, right? They were, they were double digits on their inflation print, right? Yes, what, what was, absolutely. What was, what was the number? Was it 10 or 11% or something like that? It was way up there. It, it was a monster number. Um, I don't have to handy, but. So what do you guys think this next print's going to be? 
because I'll be honest with you, this last one at nine, I was, um, I was a little surprised. I thought it was going to be lower. I guess I'm looking at the the spot commodities, like the raw commodities, and I mean they're falling through the floor. But it's all the the finished parts and the complex parts that that seem to be driving these prices. Just the the shortage of labor. Just it's it seems like that's the thing that's just allowing these CPI prints to keep running higher and higher. So is, are we going to see a higher print than nine point one on this next go around? Because if we do, I, I I mean that's that's going to be really ugly in the in the bond market. I mean it's going to sell off, don't you think? Or do you think it, it the short? No. End, you, okay, so you think it's no. Gonna get- I, I think that the 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 higher inflation uh, stays for longer. And will convince the Fed is uh, effectively convince the market the Fed is trapped. They can't uh, without losing all credibility. They cannot pivot. Right? They can't pause. They if they do, I mean, in many ways, that's even that would be disastrous. I think a pivot at this point right now oh, it'd be saying yeah, it'd be disastrous. I yeah. I think if that happens, Preston, I think you see long end yields explode. Yeah. North of five percent. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. they pivot right now, that should you know because that's what you're effectively seeing in Japan. They're, they're taking a total. Let's let's go ahead. let's define disastrous because people hear that and and it can mean a whole lot of different things depending on which market you're talking about. So you said long long duration bonds are going to sell off like crazy. I agree. Equities they're going to go up, right? If they pivot well, at I, this I, point, I think the long duration bonds will sell off if they pivot right now. Yeah, without correct without tackling inflation. Yes, they need to get inflation down. Otherwise, inflation expectations longer out. They'll just say the Fed has no confidence. The market doesn't believe they they're going to take inflation seriously. Yeah, I think what 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 you see right now, even in the movements of the tenure, you see. Listen, we believe they're committed. We believe they're going to sack the economy, push us into a recession, do whatever we want to. To do whatever they can to stop these high CPI prints. It may take a lot longer, but you know that's what the long end is telling you. The long end is telling you that eventually they will be successful. The forward expectations are telling you they're going to be successful. It's just a question of when, not really if. But if they pivot, oh man, I mean that that changes the entire ballgame. So you know if so, you're if you're a fixed so, income investor, you're not you're not begging for a pivot right now. Yeah. And so we we don't think I, th- I think collectively as a group we don't think they're going to pivot. We think that they're going to continue to be pretty aggressive in their stance, right? Yeah, everyone's nodding their heads. So let's say the CPI does come in hot, similar to what we saw in the UK. Do we just see the bond yield curve continue to invert between the long end and the short cur- short end? It just keeps getting more and more negative, like the ten to two year that we were talking about earlier, close to, what was it? Negative 45.45%. Mm-hmm. Could follow Canada down most inverted in history. You could even, which makes sense, right? With the highest inflation expectations last 50 years, you're probably yeah. going to have the most inverted curve in history for the United I, States and, Treasury. And I'll just, I'll throw it in there. I, it'll stay inverted, but it'll all rise higher though too, right? So we're going to see the two-year yields go higher and the 10-year yields are going to, they're still going to be inverted and severely inverted. But if we see inflation continue to come in hot, that's basically the two, the the short end of the the yield curve. The two years, what I, what I like to look at, they're going to keep going up to give the Fed permission to keep raising rates more. They're like, oh shoot, this is sticky high inflation. You have to keep raising rates. You have to keep being more aggressive. So and so, so right now it's sitting at three point two percent for the uh, two year, right? Three point two one percent right now. The two year yield. If it comes in hot, I think it'll boom and it's going to go up to like three point six percent. And the 10 years are going to go from, what are they, 2.75 right now? That'll go, and that'll go up to like 3% or something like that. But there's still, yeah. it's still going to be distorted 
and it's still saying a recession is coming. It's just saying the Fed needs to keep tightening for longer. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's how I read it. Yeah. Okay. So while we were talking there, because I said I was going to try to build the, the the Canadian yield curve here while we were talking. <laughs> so uh, I did build it. Let me share it. Let's see here. Okay. So I don't have it. Uh, I'm assuming you're referencing the the difference between the 10-year the and the two-year, uh, Joe. Yeah. Okay, that so should be right. we can see here the 10-year, which is the lowest yield in Canada right now, 2.6%. The two-year is at 3.2% for... Um, like 46. Yeah, it's, it's similar to the U.S.'s spread, but, um, but evidently no, they, they haven't had 56. that. 56. 56 bips. So it is high. Yeah, that's it. US. Okay. It's, yeah, 56 bips. Dang. That's a massive spread, right? Like yeah. that's... Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Look at that. Look at that. One, two, three, four. <laughs> it's just, it's completely inverted. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Let's put some of the charts away here. What are your thoughts on what's happening in China with the real estate market? Any thoughts on it, that one? I, I just think, was it unexpected, right? I mean, we all saw this coming from, it's sort of like we all saw what happened with COVID and, and the, the whole shutdown and then flooding people's uh, accounts with, with free money. We all knew what was coming after this. I feel like with China, they went through this decade of just massive, massive real estate building, ghost towns. We all saw pictures of it. You know, So at some point, if this comes home as a roost, at some point you have to pay the bills. Uh, and and they're seeing it right now. So this it everything's great when the markets are going up and the the uh, you know equities are going up and to the right and and liquidity is flowing freely and banks are lending all that kind of stuff. And to Joe's point, when volatility is low, but when all of that shifts and you transition to contraction times and higher volatility and banks aren't lending anymore, things get ugly. And that's when you see who's swimming naked, right? The tide just went out for China, the China real estate market. So that's how I look at it. I think it's inevitable. Uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better as well. How, how, I, I continually find China so hard to study and analyze just because their data is so questionable. I mean, yeah. it's almost, it's a black box. It's really difficult. And you, and you never know what, what's manipulation, what's uh, modified numbers, whether it's, you know, whether they're trying to project an image to the world for some purpose or some economic reason. As opposed to, or geopolitical reason, as opposed to actually, you know, here's what's really going on in the economy. How about here in the U.S. real estate wise? Well, I mean, obviously it's pulled back a little bit. I mean, there's a ton of metrics that show, you know, price cuts across the board, and you know that's not unexpected. I, the the question for me though is is you know where where's the systemic risk, right? What what transforms this? From a garden variety correction or a mid cycle correction that some of the CNBC people keep keep uh, pounding the desk on to something systemic, and uh, you know I've, I've heard arguments, uh, I've heard conjecture. I don't know. Maybe Jeff, you you've got some data that really makes you bearish on real estate. I I don't know. I don't see it. I'm not too worried about real estate. I mean, I think it's clearly turned over already. It's it's you know it's over the hump and prices are declining. I I don't think we're, we're I definitely don't think we're having another you know great financial crisis redo. It's, we're not going to have massive crashes and there's not going to be a sub uh, subprime mortgage crisis. Banks aren't going to uh, collapse. All that kind of stuff. So I'm not really worried about real estate. Uh, I to me more of the concern that I watch is uh, the sovereigns. I wonder about emerging market debt. What's going to happen when if the dollar continues to strengthen and these you know develop developing nations continue deeper and deeper into a recession and they just can't 
pay back their debt and then they start to default. What happens and do we get contagion at that point? That's what I'm kind of watching for. Can we talk about that for a second? Has the dollar put in a shorter intermediate term peak here? Has it? Yeah. In the short term? And, and, uh, and, and before you answer, I just put up my momentum chart on... Uh, <laughs> the trend what's the momentum chart say? <laughs> yeah. It's still going up, right? Oh yeah. It's very green. You got to pull up your momentum chart too on gasoline. We got to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but, uh, okay, I can pull that up. I'll I'll build it. Yeah. Hold on. But, but I mean, if the you, if the dollar gets up to one fifteen, one twenty, which it certainly could, right? <laughs> uh, uh, it's going to just destroy these some of these developed nations. I, I think we're going to see. I think the action is in the credit markets. Not to mention, by the way, um, high yield debt. So there's a lot of zombie companies out there that have been kind of floating along since two thousand nine, two thousand ten that shouldn't have continued floating along, uh, at some point they have to pay the piper as well. I know we've talked about this. We went back and forth a little bit, Joe, but I think some of those companies are not going to make it if they have to try to roll over debt when we get into this deeper into this recession. Um, I, that, that's what I get concerned about. That's to me is what we could flip from uh, just a, you know, a mild recession to a very serious recession is I'm, I'm looking at high yield and more importantly, I'm looking at sovereign debt. Okay. Well, Joe, what are your thoughts on the dollar, the the chart that we've got up right now? Do you think it still has room to run? I think it's no. I the, the stuff I look at says that it, we've put in the peak for the year. Um, next really? year we could go much. Yeah, no, I I, I have some uh, some my own indicators and things I look at. I think we've peaked. What, what um, now, that does that, that does not that I does just, not mean we we roll over, right? Does not mean we go. Um, but the same. Let me put it this way. When we were texting back and forth and I was telling you gasoline and oil had peaked, the yeah. exact same triggers are hitting right now on, on the dollar. So um, again, like this does not mean rollover. It doesn't mean that in the near term dollars going back to 50 or 60 or 70, that's not, they could roll back down to, you know, 99, 95 sitting there and consolidate for a while. But uh, for the short term, I think the dollars peaked. Huh. That's I don't actually... I don't actually disagree with that, by the way. There's a, there, you know, if we do get this rally, this sort of risk on rally uh, for a while, that would suggest that the dollar is going to weaken. That's usually kind of because they, they tend to go hand in hand. The dollar weakens, risk assets tend to spike. So, but then when we head into the next recession and things get serious, then, then the dollar rips higher again. Even, even in the face of everything that's happening over in Europe, because like when I'm looking at like what's driving the DXY, so much of it is, is Japan and, and Europe. And I just, like when I'm looking at those two, I'm saying they're going to be way worse than the U.S. in the next six months. So, like the dollar keeps way worse. Bidding. How way worse in the in the in, terms in, of their economy? In, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Based on everything that's happening, especially with the the Ukraine situation. So uh, that's the reason why I think the dollar keeps keeps moving from here. But yeah, know. I mean, you talked with uh, uh, Macro Alf Alfonso Picatello yeah. about this, but uh, you know, I think that the, the the move lower already we've seen in the dollar, um, which is marginal at best right now, but I think it's being driven by this anti fragmentation tool. So you know, you have that liquidity papering over some of the weakest parts of Europe, right? That, that's coming in now. We, we've seen the ECB attempt to sort of have this, you know, have their cake and eat it too now with being able to paper over some of the weaker parts of the country or the, excuse me, the, uh, the EU part of, uh, parts of Europe. So I think that that's going to be, uh, you know, that's driving some of this movement you see. It's easing some of the pressure on the most vulnerable countries. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, th- that's going to be an interesting one to see. I'm not sure, sure yeah. that I completely agree with you on that one, Joe. Um, okay, I'm sharing the uh, oil, just there you go. Uh, the oil chart here. 
And and you are right. In a text message, you nailed the living heck out of this stuff. And I said, well, I'm still on a momentum. I'm still thinking it's it's kind of green. But then this just triggered this past week that it uh, turned red. So um, what explain that? What, what just triggered? What does that mean? Uh, this is just that uh, average true range, uh, base, which is based off of the volatility of, of this particular of, of the oil chart. So okay. it was it was hanging in there. I wasn't willing to say that I that I think it's reversed, but I think it was Thursday last week or Friday last week that uh, that this finally went red. But yeah, you called it, man, in the text, and I was like, yeah, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> and, and maybe I mean, who knows? I mean, this is just this is one metric. It could still turn aggressively upward. But I'm with you. I think that you're in a negative trend there for oil now. And here's the. Uh, I don't have any momentum indicators here on this, but yeah. So natural gas, uh, diesel fuel, and gasoline being displayed from basically the start of the year. And um, you can see all of them are off of their highs and kind of going sideways or down uh, across the board. What are your thoughts on this, Joe? Well, I mean, this just shows you, you go back and look at multiple, the last several recessions, right? You see the commodity prices peak first, then you see CPI peak. And then several months thereafter, we're ended up in a recession. Um, that's the same sequence, right? It coincides with the growth expectation of the market. Uh, you, you, these things are rolling over first and they roll over before CPI, which, you know, to the point we were talking about earlier, that can tell you that you know, CPI could go for a little bit longer, even though the commodities are sort of your first warning sign that growth expectations are deteriorating moving into the next year. Um, when, when inflation does peak, and start to roll over, that's when you can expect us to be very close to uh, a recession. I know people say we're in a recession now, but uh, you know, there's other metrics that, that NBER looks at to you know, use their, their definition. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network and the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. 
And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, back to the show. If I, can I jump in here based yeah. on that last oil chart you showed? Uh, just because I've tweeted this out a couple of times, this to Joe's point, recession. This recession is kind of following the textbook playbook of what recessions are supposed to do, um, based on what he was talking about commodities. I w- when oil was up in the one twenties and one fifteen ish range, I was saying what I'm watching for next is for oil to break. When oil breaks, uh, that'll be the sign that we've kind of started the next phase of the recession. And then I, I show pictures of what the recession looked like from 2007 through kind of 2009. Phase one of that recession was oil was ripping higher, commodities were going higher, people were concerned about inflation and stocks. And I, I like to look at the Nasdaq. So the Qs were declining substantially. They got hit hard. Then what happened, phase two was when oil peaked and then finally broke, started coming down. That's basically from early 2018 through kind of late 2018. There's like a six-month swath right there um, where oil was breaking and stocks were rallying. They went up, kind of found another kind of a local high and then another lower high. That was phase two. That's what I think we're in right now. We're like, okay, I think inflation is actually going to be under control. Oil broke. Um, The markets aren't as concerned about inflation currently. We're seeing equities rally, risk assets are rallying. That lasts for about six months or so. At least that's what it did back then. And then phase three is when the floor drops out. Basically, oil, the people are like, oh crap, Like we're actually headed into a serious recession. Oil drops out, equities dropped out, and then it just got like freaky ugly at that point. And that's when the credit market seized up, all, those, all that other stuff happened. So I think it's going to happen kind of the same this time too. I'm following the same sort of playbook. And that's what makes me think, You know, we had that June 15th or mid-June low in risk assets. They started to rally. Oil's been falling. I think they could rally all the way up through maybe November, maybe December, who knows? And, and then we, we get to that oh crap moment because we're headed into a serious recession and then the floor drops out of everything. That's the playbook I'm following right now. And so far, so good. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. No, I think that, that that's, that, that's spot on. Um, the one thing I'll add, and, and I think it speaks to two points we've talked about so far, and I want to talk about with Jay, get his thoughts on these in particular. So I, I sent over, Preston, I don't know if you see these two charts back to back, maybe we can quickly show them. Uh, one of them, is, they both start with the, the title infographic, and this comes from uh, JP Morgan Chase data that's publicly available. First one, I think, is uh, it's, What's it's the, the name household. Of it again? It's, it starts out saying infographic, it says household okay. pulse. Yeah, got it. Hold on here. You got it? Okay. Yeah. Let's pull up either one of them. It doesn't matter which one. We can, we can go through each one. Okay. So this is really kind of a, a mind-bending chart when you dig into it. So what, what you're seeing here is you're seeing the percent change relative to 2019 pre-pandemic in median weekly checking account balances by income quartile. So what this effectively doing, each one of these lines, you're showing the different quartiles of income, and you're trying to see how much is this different from 2019 pre-pandemic, right? When we had all the stimulus money flow into people's accounts. And the interesting thing to, about it for me is that across all income, this is you know ch- checking account data in real time from JP Morgan, across all income quartiles, you see elevated weekly checking account balances. You're doing it on a weekly basis, on a rolling basis to see how much money do people actually have in their account to meet these you know, higher CPI pressures. And you see consistently they remain elevated. 
that message tells you that this is going to push CPI up for a longer time period, and it's going to potentially be uh, sort of a delay, right? And to drain some of this liquidity, to drain down these balances to where they have to come back to the 2019 level before you have that hard down that we're, I think many at least are expecting in the equity market, in the real economy, in consumption generally. So this is a fascinating one. And then the second one, if you could pull that up quickly, this one is the actual uh, median weekly checking account balances by age group. Same, same story here, you know, given the stimulus checks, the child tax credit, a ton of cash is just sitting on people's checking account balances, still has not found its way into the, media, uh, the, the, the economy. Every age group, every demographic, uh, 18 to 34, the, the seniors, they're, they're still sitting on that cash. Um, they have not plowed it all into the stock market. It is not eroded. This data, I think, uh, is the end of Q1 data, but they've posted similar charts even as late as Q2 at the end of June, still elevated. Do we think because of their working capital accounts that that's the reason for this? And Jay, what was, what was your question? I was just going to say, Joe, in the last meeting, I thought you had a, you, you had some data or some survey or something that said that um, people were plowing the money into the markets. Oh, yeah. Things. No, I mean, portions of the money found its way into the market, right? I don't think okay. there's any... any I'm but saying, by and large, it's, it's been sitting in the bank. You can see the numbers are going... Well, just up. look at the balances, right? Uh, look, at, look at... Now, where does that come from? Okay, some of it's stimulus, some of it's the child tax credits that came through yeah. all uh, last year. But you know, if, if, you're, if you're going in through your daily life, and you're just a regular middle income guy and you are comparing what's in your checking account right now to what it was in 2019, it's elevated. Right. Now you I may not feel that because of inflation, but I, I don't know, what, what's your thought? I was just gonna say, I think the Fed is probably keenly aware of this. And I think that um, for them to create the demand destruction, they're gonna keep raising those rates so that they can get unemployment up. I think that's they're, they're, they're headed towards trying to increase the unemployment, right? So make people afraid at the bottom end of employment that they may lose their jobs and actually have people lose their jobs. And that will hopefully curb inflation like because it's their, that's their game plan, right? So they're going to keep getting aggressive. So if Jeff's right, and, you, you, and I, I happen to be sympathetic to the same thing, if equity prices then go up higher, right? And are they, are well, they, they going to be well, successful? They, 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 they won't go higher when they start laying people off. Correct. Correct. But, but uh, we're talking so they're, they're, very, they're gonna very keep, near My term. point is they're going to keep pushing on the gas pedal, the Fed, until that happens, right? They're going to keep right. raising those rates aggressively. I think they're going to get more aggressive. So you asked earlier, what are they going to do? I think it's you know 75 bips this time coming up, possibly 100. I mean, think about how rough it's going to be for Jerome Powell's life if you get the S&P back to 45, 4,600. <laughs> you know, just he's got to get aggressive. <laughs> he's he's got to be aggressive if he's trying to accomplish his goal. I personally don't think that that's going to change it because I think you have supply chain issues. And I, don't, I, really, don't think, I really don't think this plan is going to work, but we'll see. But they're going to keep at it. I mean, he literally said they're going to keep at it. I forget the exact words he used, but he said something along those lines. What's your take on this, Preston? What do you what do you think about this this uh, uh, J.P. Morgan data? I think uh, Jay's point is valid in that maybe people are preparing a little bit for the the storm coming. But then also, I'm just thinking about if everybody's costs are going up. If you're a business and all your costs are are going up, you got whatever your variable costs are are more dynamic. You have to have a, a larger working capital cash account. Um, for that business in order to to facilitate that variance that you're now seeing. And so um, that's the only thing I can kind of hang my hat on when I'm looking at it. Here's what he said at the press conference. I actually took some notes on this. Um, he commented, voice concerns with high and rising inflation. All was, was all about inflation in the press conference, as you may recall. Um, determined to bring it down. And he 
and they will tolerate a recession if that's what's needed to get the job done. Very hawkish, right? And then uh, he also said another unusually large increase could be appropriate. I think they're going to get aggressive. And I think that's they're pushing I mean, it towards all, it all comes down to the yeah. CPI print. If it comes in like the UK's and it's at 10 percent, I don't think it does come down to the CPI print. I, I, I mean, unless it drops dramatically. Really? But I, I, no, I think it's about employment. I really think it's about employment. I mean, the CPI well, is part, it's, it's tied to it, right? It's but yeah, it's both. Yeah. So, but, but if it comes down slightly, I don't think that matters. If it drops dramatically, I don't see that happening. To, but. to, to Jay's point, right? He has specifically mentioned how he's, uh, he's fearful of a wage price spiral. He's talked about imbalance in the labor market. He says it's not a healthy thing to have two job openings for every employee. And that gives so much. I mean, it's kind of amazing, right? From they, a political they, standpoint, it gives so much bargaining power to workers to say, no, screw you. I want more money. Right. And that's, that's, that's how you get really sustained high inflation. Yeah, he, he wants to see weakening in the job market. That's, that's the goal, I think, at this point. And when there's too many open roles, wages rise quickly, which can make the economy, you know, the inflation could get way, way worse than I think. So I think that's what his goal is at this point. That's, that's what he's focused on. Boy, oh boy. The only thing we need now is for uh, Jeff, Dr. Dr. Jeff, to talk about COVID. What's your opinions on COVID, Jeff? <laughs> or monkeypox. <laughs> Tell us about monkeypox. It's now a national emergency. It's a right? national emergency, so be careful out there, everybody. Well, that, it, that's just more stop you know, verbiage. Talking, to, stop yeah. talking. <laughs> it We're going to get shadow banned. It was a joke. <laughs> No, for oh, real. No, 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 no. It's, it's really, it's actually not a joke, guys, because there are so many. We're talking about charts and all this data, but the reality is, this is a narrative game, right? Oh, Lord. that's what I think is that. That's what I think is happening, and there, and you're setting up towards. There's so many potential risks that can take all these charts and throw it out the window, right? You, you have lockdowns in China. We have problems with inflation again, with supply chain issues. That's what I'm looking at. The, this current run that we've seen, like this aggressive bid that we've had. I'm just worried like any little bit of bad news is going to just immediately yeah, plug correct. the recession into people's heads. And they're like, there's no way this thing's going higher. What What in the world are we thinking? And then that's it's like all a, like a raid of Mar-a-Lago. Is that going yeah. to drive yeah, the yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about uncertainty. We're living in times of uncertainty right now, which means you don't know which way it's going to go. Right. So that's where the market's at. And there's so many different contributing factors that could just change in a heartbeat. Right. Look at Friday, <laughs> Thursday. was was there a 30, 34 percent chance of a 75 bit uh, was the survey right in the market. And now it's a 66 percent in one day. Right. Yeah. So. That's where we're living. <laughs> How do you guys want to leave this? Do you guys want to uh, <laughs> Is anything know, positive? Make, make your call for the next quarter? Or you just want to leave it at this and then we don't have to worry about whether you were right or wrong. No, I mean, I'll just, call. Yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll just throw out what I'm doing and in, in for my client accounts and stuff is I'm, I'm getting uh, increasingly long because I think this, this rally has legs. I think it's, it's going to probably hold now. Keep, everybody keep in mind we're, we're recording this. Uh, before we know the CPI numbers for July, so the things can sing, things can change quickly. Um, but as of today, I'm I'm getting increasingly long, but I'm having I have tight trailing stops because at some point the the the, the bottom is going to drop out. That could be in a week, or that could be in a month, or it could be like three or four months from now. We just don't know. And so I just say be very careful because there's still extensive risk to the downside for you know most assets, risk assets especially. 
so, you know, I, I think what we're going to see, I, I love the chart earlier, we were talking about the, the leverage in the system. There's very low leverage in the system right now, which is fantastic. If you see those numbers starting to rise again and people starting to get giddy and like, hey, we got through this, you know, the Fed did it. Yay, Powell. Uh, Jeff, Dr. Bear was wrong. Uh, we are, we're going on to bigger and better things. That's when you should get scared. That's when we're probably uh, getting set up for the floor to drop out. So just be careful out there, uh, you know, use trailing stops or just, or just, uh, you know, dollar cost average through it for Bitcoin, by the way, I just, uh, I'll, I'll throw in my Bitcoin thoughts and then I'll stop talking. It's possible that 17.6 was the low for Bitcoin. And it's possible that we get just sort of a slow grind higher from here. I think it's undervalued right now. I think it's very cheap. I think that the whole Terra Luna debacle and you know Celsius and Voyager, all that garbage, really pulled it down. That was a hard capitulatory type event for Bitcoin. And so I think most of the badness got wrung out of it at that point. Um, if we do go into a deep recession, again, I think that's probably coming next year, maybe uh, early 2023, it could tank again and it probably will tank again. Um, so just be careful for that as well. But we could have a pretty nice rally into the end of this year. Um, I, I, I've been saying since the beginning of the year, my price target at the end of 2022 was 50,000 and one penny. Uh, and I, I still, I'm still standing with that. I think it, I think it could happen. Joe. So um, full disclosure, I, I am massively long through options here the long bond uh, into 2024, I expect to get to zero or negative rates on the 10 year at some point next year. I'm not going to try and time it. I've been accumulating for last month or so, just a huge position and it's moved in my favor, which I'm very happy about. And I expect uh, long end yields to decline from here and 10 year to find a bid. I think bonds will be the trade of second half rather than play the vanity trade of the equity market. I'm just going to do my thing because I, I, it could. I think Jeff could absolutely be right. In fact, it's probably my. If you had to ask me, gun to my head, my base case expectation. I think equities go higher from here. I think at a minimum, we're visiting the 44, 4500 on the S and P. I think Nasdaq goes higher. I think Bitcoin goes higher. But again, it's in some ways a sucker's rally, right? Because everything is deteriorating, and if you're going to try and time that, good luck. I don't want to mess with that. I'd rather do what I'm comfortable with, which is I think that the flight to safety trade will be alive next year as the real economy deteriorates. So just in terms of disclosure, that, that's where I'm at in terms of positioning. Obviously, I don't sell, I don't trade Bitcoin. I never trade Bitcoin. I think it's stupid to do that. I accumulate when it's cheap. I will buy, I bought dips below 20K this time. I'm going to continue to buy probably up and down again. I'll buy higher levels from now and I'll buy lower levels from now. Hopefully we get cheaper prices, but I think I suspect that Jeff's probably going to be right, at least for the near term. I think Bitcoin is going to, um, it's it's got to at least go higher for a little bit here. In terms of you know the what I'm looking at in the Bitcoin broader market, I'm very eagerly waiting these reports we're going to get uh, from the executive order. Keep in mind we had that executive order that came down that commissioned various studies and reports to come and be fed to the president to uh, foster legislation in Congress. Those are going to come in the early part of September, so that's going to be a lot of headlines, a lot of news and reaction about. You know, here's what the president's commission found. Here's what Treasury found. Here's what uh, various different uh, Department of Energy found. It could be bad. It could be fud. Just be aware it's coming in the first part of September there. And also, uh, you know, you can you can expect I think uh, some election sort of dynamics coming into play. I think the student loan thing is going to happen, right? And also, one thing we, I think I texted you about this, Preston. I think it's going to be fascinating to see if we get a, a boon to equities from this. You had that. Uh, the quote unquote inflation reduction act that got passed, uh, which they had that excise tax on 
uh, capital gains, right? But it doesn't come into effect until January 1st, 2023. So are there companies out there that are thinking, hey, maybe if we front load some of our buybacks and do it this quarter and into Q4, because we don't want to pay the excess tax on buybacks that starts January 1st, 2023, we want to do it now, front load it. I think that could be another boon to equity. So it could, you know, again, contribute to the risk on rally. So I, I don't want to be bearish here. Uh, I don't want to be bullish bonds, but I, I, I think it could, it could roll over, right? Nobody knows. So I threw up the, uh, the 30 year here, Joe. Um, yeah. And you can see we got down uh, we're basically at 1% there for a little bit in 2020. So you're thinking in the coming year to year and a half, we're going we're gonna to go lower than 1% on the 30 year? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right. There you go. You heard it here first, folks. All right. Uh, and just so people know, that line on the top of this chart is the 40-year trend line that, that it had never punched through. You can see it, it tipped through there a little bit. Uh, these are weekly bars that we're looking at. It, it punched through it there a little bit on this last bidding, but this last sell-off, um, and now it's starting to bid. So we'll see if Joe's trade there continues to, to work out. And uh-huh. you see that go, go back for one second real quick. Yeah. Preston, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, 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 you just got to look at this structurally. Okay. Look what happened. Okay. I'm going to talk about QE, right? QE buying massive amounts of bonds, right? Look at the wick. Okay. What does that wick tell you right there? That wick uh, yeah. is total, total dysfunction and lack of liquidity in the treasury market. And what happens when they're buying tons of bonds, right? When they're buying tons of bonds and they stabilize it and yields go higher. Yep. Okay. Explain to me, you're an astute uh, you know, uh, bond market observer. Explain to me how QE right there in terms of quote unquote buying bonds is driving the yields higher there. Well, I don't see the, the QE actions as happening in sequence, right? Like it's, it's out of phase. The implications are out of phase from what you're seeing in yields. What do you mean by that? So like uh, when you have an out of phase action, if, if, if I'm pushing a swing, right, and I'm pushing, mm-hmm. then the swing is, is in phase with my, with my pushes. But in some types of frequencies, when you're pushing or you're, you're trying to move it with a vector to the left, it actually is moving the exact opposite. But that doesn't mean that they're not correlated. Well, yields bottom right when QE begins. Yeah. That's what we know from this chart. I mean, that's yeah. that wick. Yeah. The yields bottom right when the QE, when QE begins. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you got to realize their, their actions over a long period of time, right? Their actions stepping in and clawing these, these instruments out of the market on a net basis, on a long time horizon. Like, I don't care what anybody says. If you're removing securities out of the market, you're, you're playing with the pricing mechanism of what they are. Right? Like if you go to a market and I'm pulling oranges out of the, out of the inventory that's there, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have an immediate impact. But if you keep doing that on a long enough net basis, like it's going to impact the price. Right? The reason they're making that action, to, to assume that it has no implication, my, and this is the question I pose to Jeff Snyder is, well, then why are they doing anything? If it does nothing, the, then the, why do the, they keep doing it over? The answer is over the answer again. Yeah, the answer is to 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 change the market psychology to make them think that everything's backstopping with liquidity. <laughs> Give, <laughs> me <a> <laughs> Give me a break! Give me a break! I'm you know yeah. I I'm with Lynn. So like when you look at when you look at the M2, that's that's what's being realized in the market. 
But as they continue to adjust, because what they're playing with is the duration, right? As you're, yeah. as you're constantly stepping into the market and doing these activities, what you're doing is you're, you're messing with the duration because they're swapping something out that's yielding 5% for 30 years, and you're swapping mm-hmm. it out for something that yields 4% at 30 years. And as you, right. keep, as you keep doing that, you're driving the duration down to nothing at nothing percent, right? So to suggest that it's psychology, I just don't, I don't buy that for a second. It's mathematics, and it's mathematics over a, a long period of time that's, that's not an in-phase uh, where you see the implications while it's, while it's being input. It's an out-of-phase uh, implications of the input. But you know what? I, I, I value the, the difference in opinion. I just think that as you do this over a long enough period of time, you're, you're truly messing with the duration. You're, you're, you're messing with the discount rates. You're messing with the cost of capital. And there's a reason that we all think UBI is going to happen. It's because you've completely jacked the pricing mechanism of reality, of the price of everything. That's why UBI has to happen. Next. Yeah, and that's why that's <laughs> to be why continued. <laughs> that's why yield curve control has to happen, you know? right? So, Jay. Well, with that said, <laughs> <laughs> you've just said it all. You know, I think I think it, like I said earlier, it comes down to the, the Fed's going to be looking at inflation and employment data, mostly employment data, but they're tied together, obviously. So, I think that's what you got to keep looking at. You know, inflation is rising; it continues to rise every month. I would just look at that oil prices, like we did. You know, uh, look at the look at the earnings calls. Look at look what these companies are saying. Look what happened today with Nvidia. Like, just keep listening to what's happening in the market as it relates to their guidance, and that'll kind of give you some guidance as to where you think things are going. Facebook just reported their first revenue decline as a public company recently, um, ever. You know, they are so the absolute worst. I'm sorry. I you know I don't like usually. I cannot stand that company. Just what, you're going to see more. You're you're going to see more of this stuff, right? And so as you worst. see that. <laughs> As you see that, you know, uh, the markets are just deteriorating, right? So I don't see anything positive here. Um, I hear you. There's, there's potentially a bull run that's happening right now. We have to get past 4,200 and 4,500 and we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't is it a bull run happen. or is it a, is it a bounce? Well, it's, it's really, it's a bull trap is really what yeah. just, or a bear trap rather, right? It's a bear and trap. You guys all agree with Isn't that, that what it right? is? Yeah. I, I don't Not think necessarily. that's certain. Yeah, sorry, Jeff. It's so, so, so what's right? what's it, so it seems like there's more things to the downside. I don't see what can surprise us to the upside. I, I'm missing that. I, I don't know what that is. That makes us go into a bull market and we just take off from here for the next. Five what about years. CPI declining rapidly? Why would that happen? Oh, so you think CPI is going to remain persistently high through next year? All of the next well, year. Well, if, no, that, but, if that's but, true, we're not going into a recession, right? You put words on that. <laughs> I didn't say all of next year. Well, okay. you're, you're talking about to the end of this year for the next few months, right? Yeah. Like, so, so, so just markets, markets don't go straight up or down. Right. So I right. don't think we're going to see from this point, like, first of all, I'm not so sure that June what was it uh, 14th or so was the bottom could be, yeah. but I'm not so sure about that. Right. And so right. We, we have this run happening right now. And it, the data points that I was just commenting on, which is inflation and obviously employment, uh, the employment data that we see from a, you know, ADP numbers that come out as well as the, the, you know, the, the, um, the economic data that we get released, that's what's driving everything, I think. And that's what's going to drive. And obviously, that's driving the Fed. The Fed's going to drive the interest rates. The interest rates go up and the Fed fund rates. Then companies are going to start getting cautious about you know their cost of capital and they're going to start laying people off. And that's what the Fed's pushing for, I think. And so that hasn't happened yet. And when that starts to happen, that's when the markets will roll. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, this is Clay Fink. Before I became a host on We Study Billionaires, 
I hosted one of our other podcasts called Millennial Investing. Kyle Grieve and Patrick Donnelly have done an incredible job now hosting that show and taking it to the next level. For example, Kyle recently hosted an amazing episode with Chris Mayer on episode 310 that gave a masterclass on serial acquirers. Serial acquirers are a very interesting business model with very strong multi-bagger potential. This makes them potentially the dream business for stock pickers like us. Kyle also hosted some other amazing episodes packed full of timeless investing wisdom with guests like Lawrence Cunningham, Robert Hackstrom, and Brian Feraldi. Millennial Investing, along with We Study Billionaires, is definitely one you should add to your arsenal of top podcasts. Check it out today by searching for Millennial Investing on your favorite podcast app and clicking the follow button. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing member FINRA slash SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet. But I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? For me, nothing beats having my next flight free thanks to NerdWallet. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. And that'll I mean, be Rob. I'll, I'll throw in again my, my two sats here is that I think the markets have officially, they officially don't really care about inflation as much anymore. I think the inflation part of the descent of equities and risk assets has already taken place. And I think the rally continues until people finally get concerned about the recession being like serious. That. That, like that's that. how I'm viewing that. I think it's a and, psychology and, and game right now. Why would you get concerned about the recession? Because they're going to see that things are actually really seriously bad and we're going to be in a worldwide recession and it's going to be um, inarguable by winter or late fall. People are going to start to look ahead and be like, oh crap, Like it's, gonna, it's really ugly out yeah. there. And we're not, we're not just, what, I'm asking you what the cause of that recession will be. 
it's slowing G- so negative GDP and to your and, point. And, and, so, and what and, is that? That's what I'm asking. And, like when they're getting to the root of it, what is causing yeah, the GDP well, and, to contract? So unemployment is very low. So people are going to start getting fired. Companies are going to quit hiring. People Bingo. are going to be out on their can- rising yeah, rates. Goes, Federal Reserve rising the rates, together. lay people off. Then they have to pivot because there's too many people getting let off too yep. fast, and that's when it reverses the other way. We're not doing right. That yet. I'm just putting, I'm that. just trying to put a time frame on everything. So that's kind of how I see this all playing yeah. out. Is a few more months yeah. of a rally because people think we're kind of over it. The inflation was a big deal, not that big of a deal anymore. We're, we're getting through this. Could just be a mid-cycle, you know, a little dip. We're pulling out of it. And then people are like, again, okay, sorry for the foul language. Oh, crap. Uh, we're actually heading into a more serious recession. I think this, I did good know. on this episode with those. <laughs> you guys, you guys <laughs> no, no, no. really good, really good. <laughs> no, but 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 I think I think for this year, I don't I don't know that we're I don't know how far we go up, but we can continue to rise. To your point, but there's so many negative and like narrative things that I was talking about that could make it just pull back down again sure. and just test that test that bottom or get closer. Yep. Um, so I, I'm not so sure that we're like ripping all the way to the top here and, and testing the all time highs or anything like that. So. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm still worried. I'm pretty worried about what yeah, you're negative. We, you're you're negative on all time. Everybody want to use negative on all time highs this year. On spy, for example, on the S P five hundred. S and P. I I don't I don't think that's happening. I, yeah. I think there's too many. Listen, could it happen, Joe? Absolutely. But there's always there's too many economic data points that people are looking at and other factors that are like every week. They, they, I will say this: the market is pushing up any chance it can. Any chance it can go up, it goes up. But any chance they can go down, which keeps happening every few weeks, it bang, it just drops again. And so that's the thing that we're faced with is that there's too many uh, potential things that could push the market down, but it does want to push. To your point, Joe, the market is very optimistic and it wants to rally and, and it, it's trying to, but there's too many things that keep getting thrown at it. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm of the opinion that this is getting exhausted, this, this current bounce that we're in. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. it has too much more to go. Um, you know, we're at that we're at that level now, forty two hundred. Yeah, roughly, I think right? it could, I think it could run for another couple of weeks at most, and then it's going to maybe start rolling over. Is is my base case? But similar to to Jay, like, hey, I'm not an absolutist on anything. Like, I'm all looking in probabilities, right? I'm saying, hey, could it could it go further? Of course, but the the bigger momentum trend for me is that it's you're seeing a, a bounce and it's fizzling. It's it's about to fizzle out. So Joe, do you, expect- think we pat- do you think we go through 42 in the fourth? Quarter I, be abs- yeah. Well, uh, so let me give yeah. you the probabilities in my mind. I think we break through 42. I think that the real water line for me is, is this 44, 4,300 area. I tell you this, put it this way. If we get above 4,400, we're going to new all time highs. So check that, this that's, out. That's the line in the same. Let, let me, let me say this to you. Like, so today I'm watching the market the last few days, right? So today mm-hmm. you see the market it's pushing, right? The Nvidia thing comes out and the market dips. It's like, it's one freaking company that's clearly tied to Bitcoin mining. Like, come on, everybody knows that. And yet the market starts to pull back off of that. It's looking for a reason to pull back. It's also looking for a reason to go up. It's trying to sit in a channel right now. If it breaks like above 4,200, all bets are off. It can really start to rally. And, and this is a resistance level that it's got to get through, I think. And yeah, we'll no, you're exactly. We're, we're on the same page. Um, I just, the, the, the chart, the difference in, in this, this current rally and bear market, cause we had that bear trap in, in, uh, in March, right? Uh, to, we didn't get to these charts, but I'll just briefly summarize them. Look at the VIX, look what's yeah. where the VIX is breaking a, a level. We, you know, we had this higher, low, higher, low, higher, low th- through, through um, basically through October of last year, we've always put in these higher lows, look at high yield, look at credit spreads, they're telling you the risk on trade is here. And even, even look at that. We didn't get to the XLA versus buy, but like, this is what you see. You see the return to the leadership. You see technology is back outperforming and QQQs are outperforming spy. 
um, you know, this, this could be a bear trap, right? But once you start to break really good levels, the market's going to get completely bullish again. They're going to think the Fed's got everything in control. And you, there, you can't discount the potential with a passive flow for us to just go to new all-time highs. But you and, got, and it could really mess people up. It could be like the, it could be like the Bitcoin chart, guys. Right? Like you get back up to 4,800, 4,900, and people think, okay, the coast is clear, and that's the second double top, and it rolls if, over. If it's not something that's an exogenous event, like a China lockdown or something like that, they will send their Fed officials, other Fed officials, out to make comments. Right? Whether it's you know, the, the, the one out of San Francisco or Cleveland or whatever, they're, they're constantly, they also leak this stuff out to try to pull the market, I think, to pull yeah. the markets back, right? Sure. That's what I think they're trying right. to do. So, yeah. so as it starts to rally, I think they're going to try to do whatever they can if it's not some other exogenous event that they can't control. But most well, of the Jay, things that, are just going to be things they don't have to do. That's what I said earlier. Like, you know, it's going to be Jerome Powell's worst nightmare if he still has CPA or CPI really high. And at the same time, you've got this, you know, this issue of, uh, you know, higher SBY, you've got higher asset prices. They, they, they're like, whoa, how high do we have to hike rates to tank the market? You know, that's what he's going to be thinking. Was it uh, Mester? I was just, I have something here. She, she said, yeah. she told the Washington Post, like the, how they do this, right? So she says that it would be inappropriate to cry victory too early, I guess to your point here, and to and risk letting high inflation become entrenched. We need to see really compelling evidence that inflation is moving down. And in my view, they haven't seen that yet. So this is, Listen, she's just putting that word out there to try to pull the market back a little bit. Like, oh, yeah. wait a second, you know, the Fed's not so happy about where things are at. So when the market starts to rally, they're just going to come out with their comments. Yep. Put pressure on. Joe, do, real fast. Good I just, luck. I put up the, yeah. uh, the VIX. <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> I put up the VIX and also the move. And, you know, it's, it seems like the move is the bigger the the index for the uh, credit markets for the volatility in the credit markets seems like that's the bigger story than necessarily the equity uh, volatility. Absolutely, which, which I mean the make, bot, this... which would make sense based off of this, this this current setup with inflation and all the treasuries being at the at the yields are at. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, you you got it. I mean th this this move in the bond market was historic in the first half of this year. Bonds absolutely got smoked. Is a four standard deviation move. There have been few times in history, absent a credit crisis, where you've had this kind of turmoil in the bond market. And you know the high elevated move. You know the takeaway from that is that you're on the fastest rate hiking cycle in history. We've never moved this quickly. I mean, the fact that we're talking about seventy five and hundred basis point hikes, I think, is something that speaks to the volatility and uncertainty in the market. And uh, that's why you you'd expect an elevated move, right? Because it's responding to. You know, is, is Nick Timoros of the Wall Street Journal going to leak next week that we're hiking 150 basis points and, and surprise everybody? That's kind of how they're doing policy now. And I think it's uh, and, and good luck bond traders in the short run um, because the volatility is through the roof. But on, but on top of that, we then have a print of 528,000 jobs. <laughs> you know, so that's a surprise. That, did, you, did you guess that that would happen? No, no, no of course right. not. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's, it's crazy what's happening right now. It's a weird economy, right? It's just weird. Every, every, you get so many cross currents and you can make the arguments. I mean, I think just if you pull back, right, just zoom out, like we say, um, the, the clear trend is that the sugar high from the fiscal stimulus is wearing off every week, every month that goes by. Credit conditions are tightening and the economy is decelerating. So you have to believe that eventually the fundamentals follow that. Now, how long that takes, the timing of that, you know, whether the market uh, perceives indications or indicators on a daily basis incorrectly, uh, it's, it's really tough, right? Timing's everything. But uh, I think you can, you can expect that this isn't going to get resolved by the end of the year. This is a 2023 story. 
So when we were having those podcasts earlier in the year, I'm like, this can take time. Like this is not something where the credit markets can implode this summer. It might be a 2023 story. Emerging markets blowing up might be a 2023 story. Um, I think that's what you're seeing. Guys, let's wrap it up there. Go, go around the horn. Uh, Jeff, tell people where they can find you. Anything else you want to highlight? We'll have it all in the show notes, but go ahead. Sure. So I'm, I'm most regularly on uh, Twitter. My uh, handle is at Vailshire Cap. If you guys want to learn more about how I invest, I obviously do things pretty differently than most financial planners and investment advisors. You can uh, look up my website, Vailshire.com. Or if, you, if you're curious about my services, uh, shoot me an email, info at Vailshire.com. Joe? <clears throat> Yeah, uh, Joe Carlosari. I'm at Joe Carlosari on Twitter. I'm a commercial litigator with the uh, law offices of Smith Amundsen. Uh, hang out on Twitter. Easiest way, place to find me. Uh, always shoot me a DM if you have a question. And uh, thanks for the follows. Jay. For the next four weeks, you can find me at Tyson Shoal and Seaside Heights on my boat, my jet skis, and my kids. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you can find me at, at Jay Gould on Twitter. Uh, and most of my handles on most of social media is the same. Uh, Angel Investor. So if you're if a startup in Bitcoin or otherwise, uh, hit me up if you're a tech founder. I think people can tell during these discussions that we are truly trying to figure it out, right? Like for <laughs> ourselves, like there's no... You know, we're not trying to push any one narrative. We're just truly trying to to find reality and what we think the the where the probabilities are going to be, kind of moving forward. And what a blast doing this with you guys every quarter! I just can't thank you enough for making time and to spend basically the whole evening here just kind of hashing it out. I always have a blast during this. So, guys, thanks so much for making time. Thanks for having Absolutely. us, Preston. Thanks, bro. Yeah, thanks, Preston. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin-specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.